0: It is officially election eve here in Manchester, New Hampshire, where just hours from now voters will cast their ballots in the first in the nation primary. But even though New Hampshire is just the second contest of the 2024 election cycle, it could very well be the end of the Republican race. Yes, the primary race could be wrapped up tomorrow night before January even comes to a close. Of course, it's not truly over until it's over. As of last night, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropping out, this is now finally the one-on-one race that Nikki Haley has wanted, the one she's been asking for. And right now, on the eve of this New Hampshire primary, she's the only one still standing between Donald Trump and the Republican nomination. She's also currently 19 points behind him in the latest New Hampshire tracking poll out just this morning. So what does Nikki Haley have to do to justify staying in the race after tomorrow? That seems to be the million-dollar question, or maybe billion-dollar question. Can she do well enough tomorrow to make this an actual race for a little bit? Maybe. Surprising things do happen here. I mean, John McCain won a stunning upset victory against George W. Bush in 2000, and Hillary Clinton defied the polls in 2008 and bested Barack Obama in the state. I remember that one quite well. I was with the Obama campaign, and I can tell you, we definitely didn't see that one coming. And Nikki Haley does seem to have some good things going on for her here in New Hampshire. Sure, at least on paper, she's the endorsement of the state's popular governor Chris Sununu, who will be joining me here on the set later this hour. She's the endorsement of the top conservative newspaper in New Hampshire, the Union Leader. She's leading among independents, a huge voting bloc in the state, which is the kind of big leg up that, in normal years, normally would put any candidate on the path to victory. And she's out on the trail doing the work that, again, any normal candidate would do a day before primary election. Today, she visited local New Hampshire restaurants. She spoke directly to voters. She literally held a baby. All very normal Election Eve stuff. But the problem with that is that this is not a normal year. And this Republican Party is not the Republican Party of 20 or even 10 years ago. She may have been born in the wrong decade. This year, with this Republican Party... The four times indicted former president, who was also recently found liable for sexual abuse, is still leading Haley in the state by a wide margin. And he's not just leading among the hardcore conservatives, the MAGA voters. I mean, you might expect that. He's even leading here with voters you might not expect, including those under the age of 50, by more than 20 points. So the young, the youth thing isn't working among them, I guess. So could Nikki Haley do well here tomorrow? It's possible. It's possible. But we could also very well be about 24 hours away from the start of what is essentially a Donald Trump coronation. Coronation for the guy, I think it's worth pointing out again, who was planning to spend the day today not visiting local New Hampshire restaurants, not holding babies, though that may be for the better, but sitting in a New York City courtroom. And even when that hearing was delayed for COVID concerns about the parent, because of the parents of Alina Habba, which even for the SNL writers out there is a little too on the nose, that whole storyline, Trump still spent the day attacking Eugene Carroll on social media and taking credit for being there on time and on schedule. Wait a get out the vote strategy he has there. But again, that is how the Republican frontrunner spent the day before the New Hampshire primary, and that is the guy who the majority of the Republican electorate is wrapping their arms around. Joining me now here in New Hampshire, staff writer for The Atlantic, Mark Leibovich national a- national affairs analyst for NBC News, John Heileman, and NBC News correspondent Ali Vitelli, who has been closely following the Haley campaign. So, Ali, let's start with you, because you interviewed Governor yeah. Haley today. Um, you had some interesting things to say. Let's play a clip of that and we can talk about it on the other end
1: in your stump speech, you often say that chaos follows Trump fairly or unfairly. What's an example of fair chaos that has followed the former president? Oh, I mean, look at his Twitter at any point in time. Look at the fact he feeds off of chaos, like he creates it by, you know, going on temper tantrums or creating rants or saying things that he shouldn't say that we don't want dictators to hear. He creates that chaos.
0: It's a kind of an unsatisfying attack line, just to put my cards on the table here. But what else did she have to say during your interview?
1: Well, the other half of that, right, because in her stump speech, she says he's chaotic, fairly or unfairly. So there's the fair stuff. The unfair stuff, she says, are the politically minded uh, cases that he's defending in court. Some of them. Anyway, she points out Manhattan, for example, but... That's a pretty unsatisfying answer, too. And I think the thing we've seen consistently with Nikki Haley is on a lot of these key issues, especially those that relate to Trump, she really does find a way to be on both sides of them, be it January 6th, the cases, the chaos, even the things that she brings up. She's bringing up with either an I'm sorry on the mental fitness front or she's doing it kind of out of both sides of her mouth. So, Mark, I mean, you've written about Nikki Haley. Great piece you wrote recently about her.
0: She Obviously, this would be a surprise if she were to win here tomorrow. I think it's yep. safe to say. Quite a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, it's still 24 hours out from polls closing about. What would she have to do, do you think, to stay in the race?
2: Well, I, I think the fact that it's a two person race gives her some runway. I mean, if she, it, she, the math will work out that she'll get more votes tomorrow than she would have normally gotten. Probably you know, at the floor in the 30s somewhere, maybe in the 40s if she does really well. Um, I think so that that will at least give her, I guess, a ticket out of here to use that cliché. I, I will say that in the tradition of surprise candidates in New Hampshire, She's not the normal profile of someone because she's very cautious. Mm-hmm. Usually, New Hampshire likes a mavericky, insurgent, McCain type.
0: A come from behind. A come from yeah. behind.
2: And yeah, I mean, New Hampshire voters, part of the live free or die um, construction is they don't like to be told what they don't like to be predicted about. They don't mm-hmm. like to be told what they're going to do. Thus, they love being counterintuitive. It's part of the sort of self-image mm-hmm. that we hear so much about in New Hampshire. So that might work in her favor. But ultimately, you know, it's not in the data
0: you also usually feel something, you know, when when something's going to happen. You kind of feel it in the air. There's buzz. The events are bigger. We've all been spending time at events over the last couple of days. You don't really feel that here. Well, beyond Nikki Haley, we'll see what happens tomorrow. It's kind of important to start talking about what could happen after that, I think it's, it's fair to say. Um, I mean, Trump could be very close to locking in the nomination um, he has all these legal troubles he's running this closing message on basically being a dictator right. you've covered him for a long time John Heleman why does that work and why is it still working here with in, in a state where it shouldn't work by all logic?
3: Well I want first I want to answer the question you asked Mark just really just briefly sure. right? there's two people in the race. She has a ticket as long as she she got e-credits on the on the on the, <laughs> the airline. She can she can go as long as she's got donors who will pay for her to go. And there's and two seats
0: and there's two candidates. There's
3: no other tickets that she got to take it out of New Hampshire. If she wants one. And I think the question is to go back to uh, one of our friend David Plouffe's point that he always makes in these situations. Like you got to win somewhere. Yeah. Eventually you have to win a state. You got to start beating Donald Trump. So.
0: Well, second to, is also last here, is to, the here. Right. Correct. So, mm-hmm. so,
3: so the question is. You got South Carolina. I think, though, for her, the calculus, and you can argue about whether what's it's not about, it's not for us to say what's right or wrong, but I think her calculus is going to be can I win in South Carolina or mm. not? Does whatever she gets out of New Hampshire put her in a position where she thinks she can win that state? Because if she can't win that state, there's no other state that she's going to be able to beat Donald Trump in, or probably not a state that's in the close enough, on the close enough horizon that it's worth sticking in the race if she's going to go down and get humiliated in her home state. I think that's the calculus for her is just going to be. Did I get enough, whatever that is, in terms of donors, supporters and other things on the ground, South Carolina, to make sense to proceed for another month?
0: To keep going, which is what it would basically be because it's the 24th. So one of the things that's been over the last couple of days, we've all seen these endorsements sort of pile up. You know, it's created this air of inevitability, which Trump obviously wants. What strikes me and I know we're not dealing with a normal year is Mm -hmm. that since 2016 or 2020, a lot has happened. I mean, January 6th happened. He's basically said he wants to go after his political enemies using the Justice Department. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mark, why do all these people line up? Why is the inevitability of this moving forward like this?
2: I think part of it is exhaustion. I mean, the Republican Party just seems to have have lost the will to fight with itself and the itself, you know, by definition, is Donald Trump at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, defiance takes a lot of energy, and and over several years— you kind of lose the will, and look—the the endorsements feel inevitable. And again, I think that works in Haley's favor because New Hampshire hates inevitability. They pride themselves on fighting against inevitability. That could work for her. But ultimately, I, I think it's part of the same—you um, know—the the same passive equation that we've seen in this party for a long time now.
0: One of the things, I mean, I went to a Haley event the other day. We've all gone to see her. She's a good speaker. She's a good debater. Lots of issues with the depth of her message sometimes, I think it's safe to say. But when you talk to voters... What's
1: their issue with her? I mean, she's conservative on on quite a few issues. They don't have an issue. The ones that I meet at her rallies don't have an issue with her. They have an issue with the fact that they, I think, know still in their heart of hearts that she's not getting out of this primary. Mm. And I think that's the problem. I even talked to a voter today who's basically the exact profile of what we would look for the day after Ron DeSantis drops out and you go to a Nikki Haley event. Two-time Trump voter was going to vote for Ron DeSantis, decided that he was wavering. And then DeSantis made the decision for him. He's voting for Haley. And I said, all right, well, what happens if it ends up in 2024 again, Biden versus Trump? He goes, well, I guess I'll vote for Trump. And I said, but what was your breaking point with him after 2020? And he said, well, January 6th, he didn't step in. He didn't do what a president should have done in that moment. I don't know that it was his fault, but that's why I was, I was, I was upset. It didn't feel American. It didn't feel right. But he's still going to go back and vote for him. And I think that that's the tribalism in American politics that we often talk about. General elections, if you got an R next to your name or a D next to your name, that's where they associate. But I think that's what I hear at Nikki Haley rallies is voters want to try, but they know they're probably not going to succeed there. For her part, she did tell me today she will not say she's going to win South Carolina. She just says, I want to keep doing better. Better is
3: not a win. I want to build it. Right. So, right thing, the right thing to say for her at this point. I, I, I'll just say one more thing, but goes back to something that Mark said a second ago, having covered the state a lot. You know, there's, she is, she could have been an insurgent candidate. So, everybody looks around. What would Trump's, she have had to do? Well, I'll tell you the first thing she would have had to do is she would have had to not cancel on the debate that she canceled on last election. week. Which is, which? The, the, what New Hampshire likes is New Hampshire likes to be the story. Um, Mike Murphy said to me one day, he said, the best message on the week into the, into the New Hampshire primary is, Here's your chance to screw Iowa, right? There's a, there's a, there, and there was. <laughs> they don't know
0: what they're talking about. They, Prove and they, them wrong. They, and
3: they want to be made the story, and so it's like to come here and say. I'm not going to debate in this. The, the, Bill, was one statewide television station here. WMUR. It's WMUR. Yeah. It's, it's an institution.
0: One of the, sp- one of the co-sponsors and, of this
3: and, debate. And, 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 with this, and they this debate cycle after cycle. The idea of anybody saying, well, under this circumstance, I, you know, I didn't like my debate with Rasanis last week, and so I'm not going to go and debate. New Hampshire voters take that, I think, in a lot but of cases, wait. as a snub. They want to see her working every day for their vote. She's not taking questions from voters at in these town halls. This is not the McCain model right. of like, I will go everywhere and take questions from anyone. I will debate anywhere. I will call for more debates. I, they, she's not get, given New Hampshire what New Hampshire demands in a state where in a time when they want, they may not want to be for her, but they're not really what Trump has not really gone up or down here. He's got his 55. He's been stuck there pretty much throughout She hasn't
0: given them a choice. She hasn't allowed
3: uh, them to want her.
0: And it's quite careful. Let let me ask you all a question. I mean, one of the things that you sort of hear, which, frankly, I think is wishful thinking, is that if we can just get rid of Trump, it will be over. (laughs) Right. If we can just get rid of Trump, it's like cutting off the head of the snake or whatever the analogy is. It will be over. I don't buy that. I mean, Matt Gates was here and he's maybe the heir apparent. Maybe there's other heir parents. There are a lot of people campaigning for that. But what do you think about that? I,
2: I get that. I agree with that to a point. I, I also think, though, that, that Trump is a singular figure. Mm. I think without the center of gravity that, that he represents and has provided for so long, the, Repar- the Republican Party would be completely lost and would kind of collapse in on himself in a way that it might not survive. So I think to some degree... They're, they're kind of hanging on with him and you know he's obviously not a young man I mean he's mm-hmm. not going to be here forever um, but I, I do think that you know his singularity should not be underestimated if that in fact makes any from, sense from your, from your lips to God he's
3: here is, he's not going to be here forever I'm not yeah, sure that but true. That's true. why
1: do you guys think it wasn't a shrewd political idea for her not to try to level the playing field with Trump debate wise I mean I actually thought that that was a you strategy by, that made sense by to me not saying by not lowering yourself yeah, to say I'll debate with DeSantis and why is it not on Trump for canceling It is on Trump, but no
2: one blames him for it. I mean, she needs; she just needs to be seen. I mean, he's much better known than she is, and I I think that you know, once she gets on TV, she makes a a pretty good case for herself.
3: It's a clever thing to say. I will not debate again until it's either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. But in the end, you're 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 the underdog here. You're not. If she had a lead and she was trying to preserve the lead. It would have been, I think, a, a clever move. But when you're trying to still reach a bunch of voters, you have to get a bunch of people here who might vote for you under some circumstance but are not yet convinced. Reach as many people as possible. And I guarantee you, when you have Governor Sununu on here, if you ask him in the abstract, is it better for her to, to try to reach as much exposure as possible in these eight days between Iowa and New Hampshire, he will say, yes, yes. As many voters as possible, in as many places as possible, paid media, free media, debates, everything.
0: A good tease from John Heilman to wrap (laughs) us up here. And Governor Sununu, if you're watching... Be prepared for that question. Uh, John Heilman, Mark Leibovich, Ali Vitelli, thank you all so much for kicking us off this evening. And coming up, one conversation with one voter that tells us so much about how toxic Donald Trump could be for Republicans in the general election, among some swath of the electorate. Plus, a searing new ad from the Biden campaign features a doctor in Texas who was forced to leave the state to end a life-threatening pregnancy. The doctor, who is brave enough to share her story to shine a light on this issue, is going to join me in just a few minutes. And later, New Hampshire's Republican Governor Chris Sununu, who we just previewed already, will join me on set here in Manchester to talk about the path forward for his preferred candidate, Nikki Haley. We're just getting started this hour and we're going to be right back after a very quick break. If Donald Trump wins big here in New Hampshire on Tuesday, the conversation could very quickly shift to the general election. And this state is a pretty good case study in just how toxic Trump could be in November. Recent polling shows that in a head-to-head matchup here in New Hampshire, President Biden would defeat Trump by a comfortable margin of seven percentage points. Now, obviously, there's a long way to go, though. But if Biden were to face Nikki Haley in the general, Haley would actually win by three points. So hypothetically, if Haley's name was on the ballot this November... President Biden would be spending a fair amount of time and money here to win. He still may. If Trump is the nominee, New Hampshire seems to be more of a harder hill to climb, at least at this point in time. Sometimes a political dynamic like that can be crystallized in one conversation with one voter. And that's what happened to me when I was talking to a voter named Gary here in New Hampshire over the weekend. Take a look. So you are here waiting for a Nikki Haley event. Have you decided who you're going to support on Tuesday? Yes, I think I have. I think
4: I'm a Nikki supporter. I certainly don't want Trump uh, back in the White House. I think he's a disaster. I think he brings chaos and a lot of negativity, and he's a threat to our democracy. And I think Nikki has the right approach. I think she's a unifier, and I think she'll bring uh, rationality back to the White House.
0: Do you? Nikki, she could very well win New Hampshire on Tuesday with the vote of yours and others. Um, if she doesn't win the primary, are you open to supporting Trump in a general election?
4: I am not. I will not support him in any way, shape, yeah, or form. <laughs> Are you open to supporting Joe
0: Biden?
4: I am. I voted for him in the last election. Um, I haven't been pleased with yeah. some of his policies.
0: What have you been most displeased
4: with? Uh, just, just the spending mm-hmm. um, and, and his treatment of the, the border. I think we've got real problems that he's failing to recognize and do something with. Um, but he's a much better choice than, than Trump.
0: A Nikki Haley supporter who voted for Biden in 2020, but has been disappointed by some of his actions, including spending and the border. But he would vote for Biden again in the general election because, in his words, he's a much better choice than Trump. I think it's fair to say that all of the Garys out there, if there are many Garys, let's hope there are many Garys, could be a challenge for Trump in November. At least they should be prime targets for the Biden campaign. Joining me now is Manchester, in Manchester, sorry, is Democratic Congressman Chris Pappas of New Hampshire. Congressman, thank you you. so much for coming by this evening. Absolutely. Great to be on. So I've had the pleasure of spending the last couple of days here talking to a bunch of voters. You, of course, represent a number of voters. What Gary had to say there, I mean, the demographics here are unique, as we've been talking about this evening. There are a lot of independents here, live free or die. Is that reflected in the voters you speak with?
5: Completely. I think Gary embodies the independent spirit that you find here in New Hampshire. Uh, voters can be unpredictable. Um, they tend to split their tickets. That's how we get a Republican governor and legislature, mm-hmm. a Democratic federal delegation and votes for Democrats for president through the last few elections. And so I think this does present an opportunity for the Biden campaign mm-hmm. moving forward and for Democrats. Uh, we bucked the red wave here in New Hampshire mm-hmm. in 2022 picked up seats in the legislature. Maggie Hassan was reelected. We retained both congressional seats, which were targeted races. We did that by reaching voters like Gary, folks mm. who are in the middle, who can vote for Republicans, but uh, reject the sort of extremism that we see from the MAGA Republican Party and who want solutions. And I think at the core. That's what this presidential election is going to be about. Who's in that voter's corner? Who's working to meet the moment and solve problems, work together, encourage a spirit of bipartisanship in Washington? Joe Biden has done that. Donald Trump would not do that. He would destroy any prospects that we have to get things done in a meaningful who's way. Who's
0: in his corner, who's in your corner is such a good way of defining it because as you know from being elected, people don't vote on data. They vote on how you make them feel. I did before we get to the general election, we have to at least get through the primary tomorrow and of course the president is not on the ballot because of the DNC rules and the decision to move South Carolina first. There is a write in campaign. How's that going and what does success look like for you?
5: This is really a bottom-up grassroots effort in New Hampshire. Uh, You know, the DNC handed us a bushel of lemons with respect to the primary calendar, and a bunch of activists in New Hampshire decided to try to make some lemonade uh, in terms of this primary. We want to be heard. New Hampshire is voting tomorrow, and folks are upset with what the DNC tried to do. But you know what? We're more upset with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We're more anxious about the threats to our democracy. We're more concerned about the extremism that we see out of Donald Trump and that how that's gonna disrupt our ability to get things done at all levels of government. So I think that's motivating folks to turn out tomorrow. We know that this general election is already coming into focus. And New Hampshire, I think, will continue to be a state that that is contested uh, in the presidential race and at all levels. And so we wanna see a big turnout tomorrow. And I do think that this grassroots effort for President Biden will succeed.
0: It, it sounds like you're ready to get to the general election. I think the Biden campaign probably shares that. The, the President Biden is out with a new digital ad uh, against Trump with some help from Haley. Let's take a listen to that, because I'd love to get your thoughts.
1: And he's going on and on mentioning me multiple times as to why I didn't handle January 6 better.
6: Nikki Haley... Is in charge of security. We offered her ten thousand people. They don't want to talk about that.
1: I wasn't in office then. They're saying he got confused.
0: So this all just happened this weekend. Of course, there could be more fodder to use. Do you think it's a smart strategy to lo- to use the Republican candidates running against Trump against Trump?
5: I think so, because I think, again, there are voters like Gary who are out there who may pull a ballot for Nikki Haley, but are free agents when it comes to the general election and don't want to see Donald Trump reelected. So, again, this is about building a coalition. And uh, Democrats have shown how to do that successfully here in New Hampshire. And I think we're really eager for the moment where we do get this clear contrast the general election campaign that's coming up, um, because it's a fight we've got to wage and win, uh, and we've got to be very focused over the next few months about what's at stake, a woman's right to choose, uh, our democratic institutions, and again, how we deliver results, lower costs, get things done on a bipartisan basis.
0: Congressman Chris Pappas, thank you so much for coming by and chatting Thanks with me time. this evening. I really enjoyed it. Coming up, she's a mother and an OBGYN. And now, Dr. Austin Denard is the face of a new ad from the Biden campaign, focused on draconian abortion laws in states like Texas. And she's gonna join me in just a few minutes. And later, what does Nikki Haley have to do here on Tuesday to keep her campaign going? I'll ask Governor Chris Sununu when he stops by. We're back live from Manchester after a very quick break. Today marks 51 years since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade, which protected the right of women in the United States to have an abortion. And just 19 months ago, the new conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court, including three judges appointed by Donald Trump, struck down that right. A right that women had held for nearly half a century and opened the door to the post-Roe America that we all now live in. It's an America where millions of women no longer have the freedom to make their own reproductive choices, where doctors can face jail time for simply providing care to their patients, and where desperate mothers are forced to suffer things like sepsis, bleeding, and other life-threatening symptoms before they can get the care that they desperately need. And it should come as no surprise that the American people, by and large, do not like that. Of course they don't. According to a poll from the Wall Street Journal this past fall, a majority of voters believe that a woman should be able to get an abortion for any reason that percentage only goes up for cases of rape and incest and in cases where the health of the mother is under threat and as we've seen again and again since Roe was overturned voters will turn out to protect reproductive rights they really care about this of course they do and the Biden administration appears to be betting that will still be the case in 2024. it's possible that 12 states could be holding their own ballot initiatives designed to protect these fundamental rights and if recent history is our guide Those initiatives will also drive voters out to the polls, including voters who may not seem overly excited about voting right now. Today in Wisconsin, Vice President Kamala Harris kicked off the start of what will be a nationwide tour to draw attention to the impact of abortion restrictions. She highlighted a number of heartbreaking cases of women being denied care, of women being forced to carry fetuses that won't live outside the womb, and she used those stories to make a very important point.
6: I think it's very important to understand the courage it takes to share those kinds of stories. And the reality of what is happening in real time across our country is that for every story we hear, there are so many that we do not hear about. It's so
0: important to remember that. There are so many we don't about. For all the women who have come out to tell their stories to courageously do that, there are so many more who have had to suffer in silence, which makes a new ad from the Biden campaign so incredibly powerful.
6: I'm an OBGYN in Texas and a mother of three wonderful children. Having this beautiful, messy, chaotic, but wonderful family, it's the joy of my life. I never thought that I would need an abortion for a planned pregnancy, but I did. Two years ago, I became pregnant with a baby I desperately wanted. At a routine ultrasound, I learned that the fetus would have a fatal condition and that there was absolutely no chance of survival. In Texas, you are forced to carry that pregnancy, and that is because of Donald Trump overturning Roe v. Wade. The choice was completely taken away. I was to continue my pregnancy, putting my life at risk. It's every woman's worst nightmare, and it was absolutely unbearable. We need leaders that will protect our rights and not take them away. And that's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris.
0: Joining me now is the woman who shared her story in that ad from the Biden campaign, Dr. Austin Denard. Dr. Denard, first of all, I can imagine that this is not where you pictured yourself. You're the mother of three. You're an OBGYN. You now are starring in a presidential campaign ad. So tell me a little bit about what made you want to tell your story.
6: Well, exactly. I never really thought I was going to be on television, let alone in a political ad, to be honest. Um, I'm really just a mom working in Texas, trying to raise my children and be the best OBGYN I can be. But here we are. Here, here
0: we are. Well, I think a mom doing the best she can in Texas is exactly the kind of stories that people need to hear to understand what's at stake. So so tell me, this ad has now been on the air. What has the reaction been from your community, from people in the public? Have you heard from a lot of people so far?
6: I have. You know, a year ago, I think if this opportunity had been um, placed in my lap, I think I would have been absolutely way too scared to say yes to it. Um, they say that it that time heals all wounds, and I don't know if my wounds will ever heal from my pregnancy losses. I don't think that anybody really truly gets over the type of pain that's caused from pregnancy loss, but I've been really inspired to um, make my voice a little bit louder from um, women who have been doing this before me, um, one of whom was a patient of mine. Um, they've really inspired me to start talking about it because what's happened with these laws is they've caused so much fear, so much anxiety that it's they've silenced people. And i felt very silenced for a long time, um, which is even more traumatic really than having to go out of state for an abortion.
0: Your story is so unique because of your personal experience, but also because you are a doctor yourself. You deal with this type of care yourself on a daily basis. Tell, tell us a little bit about, since the Texas abortion ban went into effect, what has the impact of how you communicate with your patients and how you talk about options been?
6: Well, the, the fear that's been inflicted with these laws has really silenced and paralyzed both physicians and patients. Um, it's terrifying to talk to patients about access to care. Saying the word abortion, it gives you chills. It makes you worry that you could be thrown in jail, that you could have your license revoked. It's really impacting the ability to openly communicate and have honest conversations between doctors and patients. And let's be honest, the, the most intimate conversations should be happening between an OBGYN and, and their patient. And, and now that privacy has been taken away.
0: You know, it's so interesting and helpful to hear this, as painful as it is, because I think a lot of people out there who are in states where abortion is still legal don't fully understand what the impact would be. And you've experienced that. And again, I'm so sorry for your loss, too. But you've experienced that in so many ways. What should people who are watching right now who are sitting in states where abortion is still legal understand about what this could look like if those rights were taken away in their states?
6: Well, this is something that um, I spoke about at a Senate briefing just last week with Dr. Floyd and Jessica Valenti. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is not a drill. This is really happening. The cruelty in my state towards women, the lack of mercy for us, for our reproductive health care, people are suffering. And I'm seeing it every day. And Dr. Floyd, who works in a state where there is access to care, she is seeing it every day because patients that are in Texas have to travel now. And it's really overloading those states that do have access. And if we aren't vigilant about what's going on, I'm afraid we're going to lose access everywhere.
0: You know, what you did was so incredibly brave. Um, It's not easy to tell your story anyway, but telling your personal story and your story of loss is so difficult. It's also so powerful. Uh, So thank you for doing that. But what would you tell to women, say to women out there who have experienced um, similar losses are contemplating whether or not they should tell their story about the power of that or about your own experience?
6: Well, I, we're all suffering and it, it's terrifying. My personal experience has been that as I've been more open um, in discussing my abortion and what my family and I had to go through to receive the care that we really needed, the more outpouring of love I've received, um, the more I've been able to connect with other women who have had the same diagnosis as me and have gone through what I've gone through. Um But also, I think any parent or anyone really on this planet, our hope is to make the world a better place and leave it better than it was when we were here. And that's what I want to do. I want my daughter and my sons to be living in a world where they can get good access to care. And unfortunately, that's just not the state of Texas.
0: Well, thank you again, Dr. Austin Denard, for sharing your story. Incredibly powerful, incredibly courageous. I know a little bit of what it's like to be changing diapers while working busy lives. So thank you for doing this while you're also doing that at the same time. I really appreciate your time tonight.
6: Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. And
0: coming up, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is literally standing by here in Manchester right in the studio to talk about what comes next for Nikki Haley. And I'll ask him about his plan to support the Republican nominee for president, no matter who it is. That's next after a quick break. With the Republican primary now a two-person race, just like Nikki Haley wants it, and Donald Trump polling nearly 20 points ahead of her, She is facing some tough questions, not just about her future in this race, but about what she could have done
1: differently.
4: Did you go on offense too late in New Hampshire?
1: No, of course not. We had more people in the race. My job was to get every fella out of the race. We've got one left. My job was not to start going against Trump from the very beginning. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You have to go one at a time.
0: It may be a marathon. We'll see. Maybe a sprint says a lot that even Fox News is wondering why she didn't go after Donald Trump harder, especially here in New Hampshire, a state that's supposed to be rougher terrain for Trump than those coming up. But she's still hoping that strategy surprises some people tomorrow night. There's a history of that here. Someone else who's hoping she can pull it off as the state's governor, who's been by her side constantly since endorsing her last month. And at last check, has a 63 percent approval rating in his state. You can correct me if it's higher than that. I don't know. Uh, Governor Governor (laughs) Chris Sununu joins me now. So let's start with the politics of this, um, because um, you've done more than 50 events, maybe more than that with with Nikki Haley. Um, But. And and she and you are quite popular as I mentioned in this state. She is currently running according to the Daily Tracking Poll nineteen points behind mm-hmm. Donald Trump. I know you might tell me that polls don't matter, we'll see tomorrow. But the question I have for you is If she does that, if she performs 19 points behind Trump, if she gets second by 19 points, is that enough to stay in the race?
7: Well, sure. She's going to her home state. So let's understand there's still a lot of opportunity. OK,
0: but before she goes there, she's here in a state that you're very popular. You've won four times. If she loses by 19 points, is that enough to stay in the race after tomorrow? Of course.
7: So, look, let's understand. There was never two months ago no one said Nikki Haley has to win New Hampshire. Only Donald Trump had had a mandate to win uh, New Hampshire. Well, she
0: has to win somewhere.
7: Yeah. and there's pl- By the way, there's 48 other states after New Hampshire. New Hampshire is very important. The m- most important part of New Hampshire is you want to clear the field. You want to narrow it down. She did that. She knocked everybody else out of the race. She got 20 percent in Iowa. She's going to far outpace that here in New Hampshire. Um, she wanted to be in second. We're going to get that done. So to go into your home state, not with an election next week, but like three or four weeks down the road, where she knows how to win, that's momentum building, right? Well,
0: she's she's even farther behind in South Carolina than well, she no is in New Hampshire. Well, no one's
7: campaigned in South Carolina yet. Let's be fair. No one's driven a message in South Carolina. No one's really campaigned. Well, Trump in South had a bunch
0: Carolina. of South Carolina endorsers here with, with here with him in New Hampshire on Saturday. Who? Uh,
7: uh, uh, Tim Scott. Well,
0: Please. a number of people who Please. were elected okay. in the state from her home state. OK, so just to be clear, you're telling me if she loses by 19 points, she should still stay in the race and you think she could win oh, in South yeah, Carolina? Yeah, I don't care what
7: the results are. Of course, she should stay in the race. Yeah. Are just d- going to coronate Donald Trump after two states? Well, I don't no, know. That's I don't know the know way if it's a coronation party. if you win
0: by, by double digits in both of the first states. OK, let's, let's move forward. You recently said you would support Donald Trump. You hadn't said that for a while. We had a couple of interviews yeah. where you didn't say that. But you recently said that um, if he's the nominee, um, we did talk about about this a little bit back in August, and you said something that did stick with me, so let's play oh, that and we'll talk about it. There's a what tape for everything, as they say.
7: He can't win in November. Independents hate it. There's no way Donald Trump will win anything above 31% of the independents, which is why Republicans as a whole will get crushed if he's on, look, As bad as he would be as being on top of the ticket for, because we'll lose the presidency, he hurts school board races. He hurts governorships, Congress races, congressional races, Senate races. We will lose all these seats like we did in 22 with him, that brand, that messaging, those types of candidates on those tickets. So he brings the entire party down.
0: I understand he's not your choice. Nikki Haley is your choice. But do you still believe he would take people down, down ticket races, governor's races? There's
7: no question Trump on the ticket hurts our Senate races, our gubernatorial races. That's why I love Nikki Haley so much, because she doesn't just win. She wins the swing states. She makes it easier to win everything else. She carries a a mandate because the poll numbers are so strong against Biden. Here in New Hampshire, Trump would lose by seven, eight points minimum against Biden. She would win. Uh, All the polls show that. So, you know, there's, there's value in Nikki, not just in terms of the presidency, but getting a mandate to get conservative stuff done. Trump didn't get enough done. And, and, and she would actually be able to do that. And back then, yes, I, again, it would be kind of a nail-biter between Trump and Biden. I don't want nail-biters. I don't want losers. I'm tired of, of losing races as a Republican. We should have had big wins in 22. You know that. And we didn't because Trump was still the standard bearer of, of the party. He was still putting out his candidates. Those are losing propositions. And my big message over the next 24 hours is this. Don't sit at home. If you're in New Hampshire, don't sit at home and wait to see what happens. Go vote. Participate. If you think Trump's a threat to democracy... You participate in democracy. You beat him at the ballot box. Don't wait for court cases and all that other stuff to take him down. It's never happened before. We want to get as high of a vote to voter turnout as possible tomorrow. And if we do that, she's got a real chance.
0: Do you think he is unfit, as Nikki Haley has been saying? Um, I think mentally look, unfit. I should nah, say to be look, clear,
7: I, I'm not going to get into all that. I, I, my whole focus is making sure Nikki. It wins the nomination. And she does really well here. I think she could actually still win here, which would be incredible. No one thought that that was possible. Um, and then carry that momentum forward. That, that's all our focus is right now.
0: So. W- why do you we've talked about this a bunch of times sure. just to understand, why would you support him in November if you think he would bring down down ticket races? If you think it's a distraction, all of the legal
7: stuff well, that's Biden happening, ain't going to help my races any. Right. Look, this is how bad I've said this before. This is how bad Joe Biden has been when you talk about inflation, putting inflation is a tax effectively he, on low income. Joe families. Biden is
0: leading by seven points in your home state. Though. I know.
7: But why would uh, of course I'm going to. Is it a surprise I'm going to support the Republican on me? Of course. And I'm going to be supporting Nikki Haley on that ticket. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that's possible.
0: Okay. Well, there are many options. I've not been exactly an advocate for third-party candidates because I think it will help Donald Trump. But Chris Christie, someone you endorsed last time, uh, he's been rumored to be in discussions or maybe thought about. I endorse
7: Chris, but okay.
0: Well, at one point, he's a friend. No, he's a a friend. We'll say say it that way. He's a friend. Um, He's been rumored to be on their list of people they'd love to have run. Um, Nikki Haley, if she doesn't. Uh, win uh, the nomination, yeah. which would be a, an uphill path. All th- sorts of things happen in New Hampshire. She could be someone on their list.
7: But then, so you got to be careful. There, there are sore loser rules uh, in, when you're on the uh, ballots in certain states. You can't be a, a third a third party. At this point, look, if you wanted to do a third party, and I'm not advocating, I'm, I want the Republican to win to be sure, you'd have to have someone, you'd have to have a Republican, a generational difference, someone super charismatic, has some national presence. I'm not sure exactly who that but would here's, be. But
0: here's my question. But wouldn't you be open? Why wouldn't you be open to supporting a third party candidate if 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 Trump is somebody who— you could. You're not really for it all. Clearly, I just don't know the viability Biden. of that.
7: I don't know if America is looking for a third party candidate. I've, I've really thought about it. Like uh, the the process is, are people looking. People hate the Trump Biden ticket, but it's amazing how uh, at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of folks. We're a two party country right now. People uh, get will get scared about. Oh, if I if I went for a third party, I'm not doing service to you know the party I tend to lean to, and, and they kind of panic and, and go back into their corners. I'm not saying it's not possible and viable. I haven't thought about it too much, other than to say I I I don't know who what. What that ticket would be i'm just making sure that the republicans win i want i want i want fiscal discipline in this country i want the fact that people understand we have 30 field 34 trillion in debt that is not government debt that's your debt that's your kids debt that's that's our that's our debt well, and the, we have to pay, pay that the 2 trillion
0: back. High in higher tax cuts did, did certainly contribute to that
7: um, I, well, wanna, th- th- I would say that Trump's eight, tr- borrowing eight trillion dollars was, was even a, a bigger problem. Fair. I think yeah. we can agree he was yeah. a big
0: spender. We can Huge. agree on that.
7: Huge. Uh, Awful. So Awful.
0: let's just go back to the politics because you have won here several times. Your family has won here several times. Your family's hometown is Salem. We're all looking That's to, where I grew up. Yeah. we're all looking to what to watch tomorrow. Uh, it has a long history. Um, you have a long history again in public office, but Trump got 48% of the vote, right? In 2016. There's a, a, yes, he did get 48% yeah. of the vote in Salem. There's a, Oh, uh, my hometown. You mean in your oh, hometown? Okay, yeah. There's a much smaller field now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, with two people, he could get a bigger percentage in your hometown. What does that could
7: get a smaller percentage? Of well, my hometown. but what, what
0: would that say if he gets larger than forty-eight percent?
7: Oh, I, I don't. I haven't even thought about that. That's kind of a that's a microcosm event. Look what what would I, what would I what would you say if I said I think Nikki Haley going to run the table in Dixville Notch tomorrow and and, and well, you know where, where Trump got a, a couple of votes last time but Nikki could there, could run the table. The, you can't look at these microcosms and, and try to pinpoint. Well, all, the all
0: of them are bellwethers to see how the state is going to go. You've run here, you know how no, to watch. No,
7: not all of them. There's about there's about not set, all of them, but a handful 13, of them. Thirteen cities and towns that I look at. Okay, what that are you I think what are you watching tomorrow
0: book. to see if Nikki Haley is going to have the towns?
7: I would watch Bedford. I'd watch two of the wards, specific wards in Manchester. I would watch. Uh, Hampton, New Hampshire, the seacoast towns. Um, up north, I'd take a look at Wolfboro and Conway.
0: And which ones of those do you think Haley will do very well?
7: I think, look... Um Think she can, I honestly think she can do well in all of them. I think she'll do really well in Manchester specifically, and I think she'll surprise people in Bedford specifically.
6: Yeah.
0: I guess we will have yeah. to see. I don't know. We will see. have to see. Let me let me ask you just. I one feel mind. good though. Let Look, me.
7: Have... All the energy is behind the Haley. Did you see the, the the rallies last night, for example? Twelve hundred people. All the energy. All the excitement. Folks going crazy for Nikki Haley. Trump sat there with three hundred people, and and it was the one of the most boring things you could ever watch. So it's really a, a role reversal. Where is Trump doing now? He's getting the endorsements of all these establishment candidates out of out of DC. He, he was supposed to be the anti-establishment guy, but no, now Nikki is. She's the one bucking the trends. We're a state that likes we, people that buck.
0: We will see if she bucks the trends <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. We will certainly see. The voters will have their voice. Uh, voices heard. Governor Chris can- Sinuna, thank you so much for stopping by joining me. That does it for me tonight. You can catch the show every Sunday at 12 p.m. and Monday at 8 p.m. on MSNBC. And don't forget to follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For now, goodbye from Washington, and we'll see you next week.